When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week 867, brought to you by Macroverse. Check out the new comic series Darkland on Webtoons and the Macroverse app. And iFanboy listeners just like you. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and replacing Josh Flanagan forever on the show, starting this week, is Dr. Ryan Haupt. What? This is the first time hearing of it. I, I feel, I mean, that's what the script says, and I feel like he would have texted me to say. Did Josh? Did Josh hack hack you? Are you? He didn't say hacked? he was quitting the show. I feel like after eighteen years, he would have at least given me a text message. Yeah, oh, the, well. You're right. I mean, that does seem like he, he should have let you know that that I'll was happening. To, I'm going to have to call him after this. And hey, welcome to iFanboy Pick of the Week, episode 867. You know, it's funny. All the original podcasts, the old school podcasts like ours, uh, everyone always numbered their shows and no one does now. And I just think sometimes we should just stop. But that's my own thing. We'll get to that another time. Every week, <laughs> one of us picks the top, the book they like the best uh, from their stack of show, uh, comics or shows, whatever they have stacks of, and call it the Pick of the Week. It was a big week. Right, as you may have, I mean, may have, may have witnessed. You, you could renumber. You don't have to like stop numbering. You could just start at number one. Again. Well, it's just like I listen to you know several podcasts, and none of them tell, say what number of the show they are. They just it's the new episode. So sometimes I think about it. That's all. I don't know. Just you, you, I think you just it's iFanboy classic. You have to just constantly be thinking, seeing what the what the other people are doing, and thinking whether or not it, that applies to your show. And it's just what you nah, do. Yeah. I don't. Anyway, I where was I in the script? Oh yeah, we're going to talk about the best book of the week, the pick of the week. We're going to talk about the other books. We're talking about the patron pick. Hopefully some listener mail if we have time, and here's your spoiler warning, exercise of caution. This week, Ryan, you had the pick, and it was, as I said, it was a heavy week as after a couple of light weeks in a row, and also, personally, I thought it was a pretty fun, entertaining week after a couple of sort of blah weeks in a row, so I, I had fun reading books. I had a big stack, and as I started digging into my stack, I was like, man, this is a, a fun week of comics. There, there wasn't an obvious standout. Mm-hmm. Until I picked, I, I decided to sort of randomly read. I actually, I, I give a lot of credit to the Javier Rodriguez cover mm. for Punisher War Journal Base Number One, which has, has a cover featuring Frank Castle with the new Punisher God. skull branding. Yeah. But the, the the Javier Rodriguez like intensity of the facial expression and the tool wall behind him, yeah, I actually thought was really quite striking. And then I saw that it was uh, Torin Gronbeck writing it, who um, is the the Norwegian writer who's uh, been working on the Thor books, yep. not unsurprisingly. Uh, and I, I haven't seen her name appear super often on non Scandinavian mythology based 
books so far. Nope. So I was, nope. I was curious. Um, and this was drawn by Jabril Morissette Fan with colors by Matt Miller and letters by Corey Pettit. I, I looked up how to pronounce the, the artist's name. Apparently it's Jabril. the Arabic version of Gabriel, hmm. which I think is interesting. Yep. Uh, but this this book just, it truly came out of nowhere. It's clearly meant to be sort of a, a interstitial story in the current ongoing Punisher arc. And I think what I appreciate well, also about it's, it's a one shot. It's not... It's not like Punisher number 17 or whatever it is. It's right. sort of it, off it, to the it side. Takes, it takes place before Punisher's family is killed. Right. And what I find interesting about that is I think there's been sort of a, I don't, I don't know if it's a retcon so much as a fleshing out of the backstory where we see that, you know, as much as Punisher idolizes and uses his, his dead family as an excuse for his crusade, his life wasn't perfect before they all died. Like oh yeah. Them, yeah. That, that's, I mean, I don't claim to have been around in the, in the original days of the Punisher cause I was in the seventies, but it's certainly a fairly modern and by modern, I, I could mean in the last 25 years that the Punisher was always there. I mean, that was that Garth Ennis Punisher Vietnam miniseries that really sort of explored the idea that he was always the Punisher. Uh, it was just that, the war plus his his family dying really sort of broke the dam on it, but he was always in there. It wasn't just the family getting murdered, but yeah, that's sort of a fairly modern idea. And I thought it was, you know, the, the, the premise behind this book is that Frank has been having a really hard time leaving the war behind. His wife kind of wants him to stop talking about it. She wants him to, to just say like home is here in Jersey uh, or wherever they live. Yeah. And, and, and he's having a tough time with that. You know, he's having a hard time relating to his neighbors. He's having a hard time walking. He's home on leave. Yeah. Um, and he, he finds that the, the mafia has, um, I guess not a quite a safe house, but a, a torture house in his neighborhood. And he decides to deal with it directly after a Halloween party where he, you know, his costume was inappropriate. And so his wife was mad at him for that. And he, he just, could do no right this up in this issue, basically. No, he really struggled. I mean, he didn't he didn't do great at therapy. He he was asked to write a journal, but his journal was really sort of him his his true frustrations at what his familial expectations were and how he was unable to meet them uh, in ways that he couldn't express to his own wife, which I think is is part of the tragedy of the story. Of like, I think Frank really does love Maria, but he just can't talk about it because his entire context for life is war and the Marines and pain and violence. And, and it's who he is, but he gets, he gets his wife enough to know that that's not what she wants to hear about all the time, but he also doesn't know how to talk about much else. Yeah. I mean, at this point he's fully convert, not converted, but he's, like I said, he's on leave. It's not like he's even done with the war. He's got to go back. So he can't like turn it off. So he, uh, he's not present. He's not present in their lives. And it ends with the the family dog getting shot by the mobster as Frank runs away from the situation. And obviously I'm a a dog person. And so that, that hit me uh, hard as a final sort of moment in this, in this issue where there's a lot of death and pain and destruction, but you know, they killed the dog and that, that made me sad, but it also made me feel something. And so in a a full week of books where I was having a hard time figuring out what the pick would be, I think this book um, spoke to me in a way of just like, Family man doing his best with the tools that he has, but the tools that he has are mostly violence. <laughs> Did you relate and, to this this comic this week? Uh, more than I would like to admit, but yes. <laughs> it just it just hit me right this moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
so I read. I wasn't going to read this originally. I had like twenty four books, so I wasn't in a in a space to be t- taking on too many new books. But you picked, you made this a pick, so I figured I should read it. And uh, it was very good. I think Torin Grunbeck is terrific. I've really been enjoying what she's been doing on Thor uh, lately, especially though she's she's basically solo on the book. And I thought the strength of this this book was the writing. I thought the exploration of his psyche was was really strong and. You know the action sequence was was particularly brutal. brutal, and I just there was I just had a couple of problems with the book, and that again it wasn't bad. I I thought it was quite good, but um I didn't. The Jabril Morset fan art was good as art goes, but it wasn't. I thought he was super off model. Um, he looked Frank looked to be about fifty five years old in this. I, I noticed in that. This and comic. I, got, I got over it. Uh, um, it just personally, didn't, but, it just but didn't work right. for me. He looks like Frank's dad, you know, not a guy who's supposed to be, you know, in his twenties and then fighting in the war. Um, the, and I guess this is partially the writing. Um, the criminals next door didn't make any sense. Like at first they were Russian and then they were Italian. Um, like when he first meets them outside, they're all Russians and then inside they're all Italians. Uh, and then the other thing I had, oh, uh, I mean the cover. I hate the I hate the logo, and the fact that they have the logo on the young Frank is is offensive to me. But um, other than that, I thought I thought, like I said, I enjoyed it. I, I was surprised. I thought this is really good. I, don't, I wonder why they did it. The co- the co- the title I don't really get. Punisher no. War Journal base, but I mean it's his home base, I guess. I don't know, but. Or this is the start of his war journal. I don't. I, don't, I didn't understand the title. But other than that, I, I like. Well, yeah, I mean, I think I, obviously Punisher War Journal is an old idea of him keeping track of yeah. his vigilante crusade. But I don't know that I'd ever seen a, a moment in the Frank Castle story where a therapist asked him to start keeping a journal, and the journal he keeps is yeah Frank Castle level darkness. The exploration of this man who is. Uh, emotionally estranged from his family and his life and consumed with thoughts of war and pain was really good. That was like, to me, the strongest part of the book. I was really absorbed by it. Uh, so that was again, a testament to the writing, but, um, and the art, I mean, again, other than Frank's extremely old face, the art was really good. I thought, you know, storytelling was strong. It had a very lived in, you know, the, the suburban neighborhood was filled out. The houses were, which I think I think I found impressive coming yeah. from a Norwegian writer that like the American suburban experience felt well realized and captured in the script and an execution of the story. Yeah, so I mean I thought all the elements were there. A couple a couple of things aside that were a little bit, you know, that tripped me up a little bit. Other than that, I thought it was it was good. It was very good. I like a Punisher story now and then, and this was this was strong. So there you go. I was surprised, and some, I'm, not, I'm not always surprised when these things happen. So good for you, Ryan. You know, I was working you through my books, and, and the books. You know, there were there were a lot of like obvious contenders for what I was thinking might be pick of the week, and I read through all of them and was not just none of them quite hit the sweet spot. And then late late in my stack, I read this book and was like, man, that was that this book caught me off guard and was really compelling. And so. Um, None of them spoke to you as a stressed out modern dad. No, it just this the darkness of this really got to me. <laughs> uh, if it had been me, Hello, it, darkness, I, if, it, if it had been me, there was lots of contenders. It, it probably it might have been Sp- Superman Space Age Book Three, though, of, of which the first two I think were also picks of the week. This is the final issue of this 
this was issue. really really good it was just it was long <laughs> after a long week it was a long book and i didn't know it was the final book in the series i think if i'd known that going into it 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 might have uh hit different but i was uh, by the time i read this this was i read this pretty late in my stack and by the time i read this i was i was struggling to get through my books <laughs> yeah this the the final issue of this mark russell mike mike and laura all read black label superman out of continuity story you know, puts Superman sort of in the real timeline has just been terrific all the way through. And starting with, you know, it opens up in 1982 and, uh, Pariah is there with his eighties rolled up green blazer at the bar with Clark. And I just, I was, I just knew we were in for it. What I really liked about this was that it posits the crisis is coming, but in real time. So, you know, in real time crisis hits, comics in 1985 86 and so it he has anti-monitor coming to earth in that you know real year i like that bit of sort of meta storytelling but this is much more involving of the justice league and lex luther i love the lex luther bits in here where you know he's in prison from the because of the events the previous issues and he just doesn't need to be there anymore so he leaves (laughs) and uh you know it was great stuff with with Pa Kent and you know, the stuff with the league was great. And seeing Mike already getting to draw these, all these characters, like it's, it's a big sort of satellite era league. And I still don't understand why everybody gets to wear their comics, uh, appropriate costume, except for Batman. I don't understand why he's the only one that gets to redesign. That that is an interesting, yeah. And I, I actually, I did have a lot of fun on the big splash pages where there are a ton of characters, I did pause and just go through to be like, make sure did my nerd cred hold yep. up in that? Can I identify every single one of these? And I could even the doom patrol ones. Which yeah. That was, yeah. I enjoyed Lex Luthor's, um, his defense in court, the way that got him out of, out of jail, uh, blaming, blaming the nuclear blast on government incompetence and case dismissed. Like I just, this was, one of the, I think one of the best things Mark Russell's written in a while. And, you know, I think I'm a big fan. I think you are as well of, Mar- of Mike Allred. So I just thought this was, this was great. I think I'm a bigger fan of Mark Russell at, at the moment, but yes, I, I do love Mike Allred and, and Laura Allred's art when they're working together um, as well. And this was just great. And, you know, there was an interesting little thing here with the Joker and Batman that was good. And does, Mark, do, does Mark Russell hate the flash? <laughs> I don't know, but I like the Flash is constantly building, you know, but models. He's building things in a way where everybody's like, "Ah, oh, fuck this guy!" <laughs> like, you know, like, he's he's he he. In order to concert, he's building ships and bottles, and he's building Eiffel Tower mo- models. And I just thought it was fun. I just I, this was great. And there was a little great. There was a really great bit at the end with Wonder Woman and what Superman. Uh, Superman is going to leave. Like I just thought this was uh, a really surprising, out of nowhere, you know, fun. Elseworld Superman story that uh, deals a little bit with the multiverse, and I thought it was great. I liked the multiverse stuff in this a lot because it's it's done in a very kind of subtle way. Like it, it never, you know, um, it doesn't beat you over the head with the fact that like this is a different Superman who's had different experiences. Like it, it will still give you the different, you know, Earth universe, whatever. But really, the main difference is just like it's the Superman with the black background behind the S rather than the yellow. And other than that, like the characters are roughly equivalent. It's just the experiences they've had are significantly different. And I think that that was interesting. Yeah, this was really good. If 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 
if you're listening here and you you've missed out in this series and you like Superman, you like Mike already, like Mark Russell, you even like sort of classic sort of silver agey DC. This I think this is a must read. This was terrific. Really terrific. I didn't realize it was only gonna be three issues, as as I mentioned. Um, but, but I it's, think it's three, but they're each issue is three long, times the size. Long so it's, issues. So it's probably yeah. like it's like eight eight issues worth of comics. It's yep. long. It's it's gonna be a regular size trade when it comes out. Spoilers again, but you know the the Superman the Superman that's from the world that we is most closely familiar to us as DC readers is the one who fails in the end, but is able to send quantum DNA of everyone on Earth to a mm-hmm. different universe where where the other Superman is able to resurrect them. But I I, I mean, a little, cr- I gotta cr- say, a little Krakosis situation going on over there. Well, but I gotta say, like the the scenes where you know our, the Superman from more or less our world. He, he succeeds in getting the DNA out of our universe into the other universe, but then he just like goes back and holds his family while they die. And like that. Oh, again, you want to talk, you want to talk about like new dad feels. Whew, yeah. That hurts. I also like the little comedic button where the Superman, in the other universe puts up a statue of Superman from the other universe, our universe, but, but no one else knows that. So they're all like, so did you just put a statue of yourself up? And he's like, stop me. Yeah, and, and you can't tell because the statue is just like bronze, so there's yeah. no color to the different S. But I also like that the statue says, in memory of a friend. And I think it's one of my favorite Superman tropes when, is when, you know, like somebody says, who are you? And he goes, a friend. Right. I, I, and it's it's hokey, it's dumb, but <laughs> I actually just really like it as a, a Superman trope. So I also gave, would have given heavy consideration to Superman number one from Joshua Williamson, Jamal Campbell, Ariadne Mar. This is the you know, the, re- the the soft rebooting of Superman from the dawn of DC. And so you've got Jabal Campbell, who is terrific. He's he, the last thing he did was uh, the Naomi book, but then both Naomi books and Joshua Williamson, obviously who's one of the top guys now at DC. And as a soft reboot, as sort of a resetting of the pieces on the board as a fun setup for, you know, the status quo going forward. I really liked this a lot. I thought this was terrific. I kept thinking about this after I'd read it and scenes from it. I think Jamal Campbell is a terrific talent. He does really interesting dynamic work. His characters sort of seem modern, like they're living in the world. They were, clo- they were clothes that feel appropriate. You know, they're not just timeless characters. Well, what's interesting is that like, he's able to draw characters that like you said look modern look at they're wearing real clothes but like clark kent still dressed like a dork yeah because he's a dork because he's a dork that's what's great right. about it but i'm saying that's like that's impressive like yeah. it's because most because i feel like there i feel like there are a lot maybe a lot's unfair but there are plenty of comic artists brad anderson that draw people that i don't think they intend <laughs> to look like dorks but they look right. like dorks um We'll get to Lex in a second, but Lois is the is the editor in chief because Perry's on sabbatical after sort of having a heart condition situation in the previous issue, and I like the dynamic of that. She's you know she was the star reporter, now she's got to be the boss, which is difficult. Um, I really like the scene, and this was really great acting. Was where a he a Josh Williamson has Clark constantly wearing headphones to sort of drown out with music so he can concentrate on his work, which I thought was an interesting choice, and then. He goes up to the roof and Lois joins him up there and, you know, they're talking and they start kissing and then Jimmy interrupts them. And so now we've, of course, we're back to being a secret identity. So no one knows he's Superman again, which is the way it should be. Which, wait, when did that happen? 
It happened in in the the event that this is before whatever it was the Dark Crisis and if an Earth. Oh yeah, I haven't read that. Yeah, so I mean, because well, well, but like, because because I, I I caught that, but I also you know Superman or Clark rips his shirt and tie off while Jimmy is still there on the roof. He's just facing the other direction. <laughs> so, yeah, but you like, think he's moving I, so fast you can't see him. I know, but I, I legitimately wasn't sure. Because I didn't read that other book, I legitimately right. wasn't sure. Like, did Jimmy not know, or was he just not paying attention? They should or? have hit that a little harder. What I want to what I want to finish about that scene, which is the acting I liked a lot, was that Clark's wearing a base, baseball cap at work, and so they start kissing. Lois takes his hat off and is holding it. Jimmy shows up. She puts it on her head in sort of embarrassment and, and has it on the rest of the scene. I thought it was a really nice bit of acting. Um, and from, I, from the I, art team. I mean. Maybe it just speaks to sort of my old school Superman sensibilities, but Lois screaming Great Caesar's Ghost, I actually did laugh. I was like, that's <laughs> great. Like, that's, she's taking on the editor-in-chief role, and she's taking on the idioms that the editor-in-chief of yes. the planet must use. <laughs> so then, so then there's another great situation where Lex is in prison, right. but he is talking to and tormenting Superman from the inside. So, because... As Superman explains, or Clark explains to Lois, he, he's calibrated his hearing for a handful of voices. He can always hear Lois. He can always hear Bruce. He can always hear his mom. Uh, and he can always hear Lex. So Lex is just just constantly just talking to him. And he's sort of the, he's sort of the narrator of the issue. I thought that was a great little bit. And especially with the reveal that he has uh, given his company over to Superman. It's now Supercorp. There's a giant Superman logo on the top of the building. And... Mercy gives him a tour and he's like, I don't want, I don't want any of this. This is, this is stupid. Would you want to be able to whisper to Superman all the time? If there was like a Superman in our world, would you want that option? I mean, are we friends? No, I think, I mean, I, I've, I've seen as, your head. I, I think as, you're as, Oh shit. No, I don't. I mean, if I, if he was my enemy, then yeah, I'd torment him. But, um, and then there's a great little video they play for Superman showing him, you know, what they're going to do. It's very much like the, it's, it's the Jurassic Park, yes. you know, orientation video but it ends with it's got like a cherubic superman who's explaining everything and then it ends with like a bunch of people in superman you know uh uniforms like like there's those eras of the justice league where the satellite or the yes. hall of justice is fully staffed by people and that's kind of what we're getting here but they they fully use the like tim daly adventures of superman yes. model to like demonstrate what superman is supposed to represent which i thought that's was really liked. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was fun. I thought that was a, a cool twist. And Superman's like, no, I don't want, any, like you said, I don't want any of this. Shut it all down. And Mercy <laughs> is like, well, if we shut it down, all these people are out of jobs. LexCorp employs, you know, a quarter of the people who live in Metropolis. So, yeah, so you shut the it down, whole, all these people are out of work. The economy is destroyed and everything. So he has to keep it going. And then I liked, I really liked the, I mean, I just love when Lex twists the knife on Superman. You know, that's one of, my, one of the best things about the, about the whole relationship. And here, he pops up as a hologram, sort of in Kryptonian <laughs> garb, and says, I, I had myself programmed as a hologram because I know how much you love father figures. Well, he teaching literally you. calls it my son. Yeah. And <laughs> just a rage in Superman's eyes. Like, this was a terrific fucking comic. I really like this. This might have been my pick of the week, the more I think about it. Um, I'm excited, you know. I'm excited for, you know, a reset Superman because it just wasn't really working ever since the, the uh, reveal. And this was great. I mean, it, it sounds dumb to say, but like, I'm just glad the trunks are back. You know, I, I was fully in the get rid of the trunks camp when they when they announced it, and I was wrong. I, you know, it takes a it takes a big man to admit when he's wrong, and I was wrong about the trunks. The trunks it takes need, a it takes a big man to put those trunks on. Yeah, the trunks need to be there, and not just 
from a emotional point of view, it's just graphically it, you needed the red to break up all that blue. I just didn't. And and also like we've introduced, you know, uh, I think you guys talked about this in a recent show. There's like so many different versions of, you know, we've got Superboy like yes. Connor, we've got Super Superman John, we've got the Superman of China, uh Kong, you know, and they they have all like their costumes, they they've done a decent job at diversifying them, but the thing they all seem to like want to do is get rid of the trunks. So it's like yeah. OG Superman has to have those trunks. That's the thing that distinguishes him as silly as it is, but it just works. Yeah, I saw that James Gunn uh, put a, a tweet or something out saying trunks are no trunks. And so now I'm like, oh, I need to be a consultant. I'll get in there. I'll fix everything. Love that for you. Um, date corner. Date date corner. I did a, a couple oh, I of weeks. To, I forgot to point out that um, Punisher and Superman Space Age were journal corner because they're both uh, about characters writing journals. Journal corner over. Date corner begins. So last issue of spider-man which we're gonna talk about in a second i mentioned how it wasn't exactly what i was expecting i was hoping it was gonna be like a one-shot fun kind of date romp uh and this is and we're talking about batman superman world's finest 12 this is what i was talking about like the classic one issue superheroes go on a date and it all goes wrong or right but in the wrong way kind of story and this is this is it from mark wade emmanuela lupacino uh, and and team and Emmanuel Lupacino is great. I really wish I, I was really bummed it wasn't Dan Mora because if, if any issue, this would have been great to have him on. Agreed. So, so this is the ill-fated date between Rob and Supergirl that was referenced in the very first issue of this book. Can I ask you a real question? Yes. No. I mean, I, I assume we both m- more identify with Robin than Supergirl in this particular scenario, just because you know we're heterogender rolled people, whatever. Do if you're do you wear your costume on the date? That seems no. an ins- that's an insane choice. Yeah. So now here's why this this wasn't in the in the conversation for pick of the week from my in my head. Uh, I I thought some of these things were really contrived for the reason why the date was went badly. I was like, I found myself going, would this really happen? And I get, you know, what what, what ended up falling on here is that there was no chemistry, which is totally fine. I've been on those dates, you know, in my twenties where you, you you know you meet someone really attractive and you you know you, you go out and you're just like, oh, there's just nothing here, no spark, but. But it's also it's also super believable for these two characters at this point in their lives yes. to not have romantic chemistry. Oh no, I believe that part. What I don't believe is what you said. I don't believe Dick Grayson showing up to their date in his costume. I don't believe him being this not charming, obtuse. You know what about, I mean? Like, oh, I'll pay. Obviously, you know, I don't like money's not an issue for me. Like, that's not Dick Grayson that I. Yeah, know. I I just didn't. I just didn't buy this as like the reasons why it wouldn't work, um, which is a bummer because I was so excited. The first page where she's I know. trying on all the outfits and I was like, yes, this is exactly what I wanted. And her telling Clark like she was so surprised to be interested in him when she saw him in a team up. And and I was like, yes, give it to me, Mark Wade. And then it just it just took a turn. And I was like, oh, the first thing was the costume. And then I was like, OK, that could be like a cute little misunderstanding because she's she shows up in an outfit. And she just got to run and change. And she's bummed because she spent so much time picking it out. But then he's just kind of like he's not an asshole, but he's just kind of like oblivious. He's a doofus, and Dick Grayson's not a doofus. And and I thought like the, the you know they cut to the kitchen a lot, and the the chef like wants to nail his orchetti for super, like Supergirl and Robin, and yeah. I, I thought that could have been funny, but it, it didn't really go anywhere. It, uh, the only direction it went was they they kept asking, "Where's our food?" And yeah. I've 
been on those dates. I've been on those dates with like my wife, the person I'm married to, and yeah. the food is taking too long. And we're both like, well, this date kind of now sucks. Like we both <laughs> just want to get up and leave. And it's not that we don't like each other anymore, but mm-hmm. it's like we're not having fun in this experience anymore because there's no like we had a nice appetizer and it's been a half hour and the food hasn't arrived. <laughs> So I get it. And then they, you know, in the team up, because there's a whole accident outside involving a bowling ball truck and a monkey. And Which I thought um, was kind of funny. Yeah, that was, that, the setup was all funny, but like they had no chemistry out in the field either, which I guess is a metaphor, but we've already seen that they have that chemistry in the field. So it was just, it was bizarre. I, it was, I didn't dislike it, but I found myself with each passing page going, Oh man, like this. I know. I kind of, I kind of like want, I, I went into this book really excited. And then as soon as I started reading it and realized kind of what they were doing with the premise, I was like, all right, I'm ready for this to be over. Now, <laughs> much like they felt about their own date. What's funny is, you know, DC is a mess editorially, but like they have him here in the classic Robin outfit, which is not an outfit he's been wearing at all in the, in the book. <laughs> He's been wearing the, the modified Did the version. Did the Robin outfit ever have a high collar like this, though? Nope. That's a Dan Mora thing that they put in for the new outfit. And it's okay, like, if it's blowing in the breeze. But now he just looks like a, you know, a, a guy with his polo shirt popped. And I was just right. like, this is... And the, the only thing I noticed about it is about, you know, the way his outfit is portrayed. And, and he spends the first part of the issue before Batman asked him how the date went, designing his original, you know, Night Nightmare. Wolfman, Night, Nightman costume. And or George Perez, I guess I should say, not Marvel. Yeah. Uh, but they do cut to a scene where it's him and, and Supergirl fighting against Man Bat people with Black Lightning. And I was like, oh, there is a visual similarity between Black Lightning's costume and Nightwing's original costume. The so DV. I thought that the DV and the color scheme. Right. And so yeah. I thought I thought that was a little interesting that like even though, you know, he and Supergirl didn't work out and did it hit off like this team up that they had early on with uh, another person involved did somewhat inspire Dick's choices in his ensemble moving forward in life. But you know, that's a very minor little thing. Yeah. My final note of the date is that, you know, it's first reference in issue one and they're icy towards each other, right? Like sure. they, they have that, sh- you know, that, the dialogue balloon that, sh- that, that portrays iciness in the, in the, in the wording and nothing on the date, I thought warranted that it was more like really there was disappointing. No major, like falling out. Right. It was more disappointing slash embarrassing. And so no reason why they should have been icy toward each other in a, in as opposed to just like, Oh, Hey, you know, That's a good point. It was both went too far, but not far enough. It was very, I understand this was a hard, uh, uh, thing for Mark Wade to hit the bullseye on, but I don't think he did, which is, which is unfortunate because I was really, really excited for this. I, I was really looking forward to this too. And I, I, fact, I, t- I saved it for the very last comic I read as my most anticipated wow. comic. And wow. it was, uh, not what I was hoping for. Now let's talk about the other date, the, the conclusion to the amazing Spider-Man 914, the Peter Parker, black cat, two part date in which they end up, uh, at a, is this at a, a date res- where we have Dotson at a resort. We got with- Dotson. With the Dotsons, written by Joe Kelly, and uh, at a resort with with Mary Jane and her boyfriend, and a bunch of tech bros. Husband, who, I think. Are they married? I think so. I don't know. A bunch of tech bros who have who have uh, leased the the equipment from the the Secret Six from the Rabbit character. She that's her business. Is she lets you rent the equipment and pretend to, you know it's almost like paintball, and it's all gone awry. Anyway. 
this was fun. I like this. Mm-hmm. I like this issue more than the first issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that there was a moment where you think the black cat's like, never mind. But then she re- and then she's like, nope. I still like Peter. And Peter's like, hey, listen, you know, I'm, I'm always going to love Mary Jane, but I don't love her with a capital L anymore. And she's like, lay it on me, you know. So I, I thought yeah. this was good. I felt like they were going they were going for a level of emotional maturity that we don't often get from Peter Parker with that conversation. Yeah, it still felt like it felt like a conversation that was more for the comic fans than like what two actual people would talk about. Sure. Like I can't, I personally can't imagine being in a romantic relationship with somebody and telling them, Oh, I still love my ex. I just can't be with them. So like, I'm going to date you for now. Well, like, I, I, don't, I still love them, but I don't, I'm not in love with them. That's a conversation that people can have. I think maybe I just, it, it, it didn't quite hit the mark for me uh, personally. Yes. I but get like, it. I get that. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it's wrong or did, did anything uh, you know, irredeemable. I'm just saying I bumped on it a little bit, um, yeah. but I still, I, it, it didn't, you know, like to, it, it works in the sense that Felicia Hardy is such a self-assured character that I could see her being okay with that conversation. I've never dated anyone like that where I felt like I could, I could have that conversation with them and have it go. Okay. That we're still dating by the end of the conversation. Yeah. It's funny. You know, when it looked like it was going to go sideways on them as a couple, I was like, oh, man, what's this going to do for the Black Cat Mary Jane miniseries, which is basically the entire crux of it is that, you know, Black Cat feels guilty for being in love with Mary Jane's ex and their their friends. Like, I thought I was going to blow that up before it ended, but it didn't go that way. And I'm happy it didn't go that way. I'm happy to get they get to explore this pairing for a while because it's fun. And Black Cat's, you know, feel it, feel it uh, in a resurgence right now. So, I'm, I'm Yeah, excited. and I mean, you know, Joe, Joe Kelly, like, is... Uh, I clearly, I think working through some, some stuff from living in California for a while <laughs> that, that comes across and how annoying the, the, this version of the sinister six yeah. are. I thought it was fun. I mean, I thought it was a fun issue. It wasn't exactly like if you took the format of the, the Batman Superman world's finest issue 12 and you put these characters into it, that's more of what I was looking for, but this was fine. I enjoyed this very much. And also, they could double date. Maybe they could work out their all of everybody's issues with Robin, Supergirl, Spider Man, and Black Cat. Oh, double date across universes. Yeah. I thought you meant double date with Peter and Felicia and Mary Jane. Oh, and you know, you know is. that's coming. You know it's coming. I got a whitewater rafting story. That Felicia I'll for, and for off air. Felicia <laughs> and Mary Jane are like buddies now. It's definitely coming. Multiple X's, one raft. Not a great, not a great scenario. I have multiple X's, same table at a wedding. Uh, could you can you die at a wedding if you fall out of the uh, fall off the table? <laughs> when your exes could stab you, that could that could happen. I mean, I, what if what if it gets to a point where you just say maybe I'll throw myself off the raft <laughs> on purpose? Well, there was a point where I was dancing and I and I and suddenly hands grabbed both of my hands. And I looked up and had, a, had an X on each hand, and I was like, uh oh. I mean, I, I had that because they were pulling me back into the boat because I uh, did throw myself off the raft. My story is uh, not in the way I was, uh, you know, the good way. Anyway, I mean, I, I had to tip one of the X's because they did pull me back in the boat. <laughs> <laughs> but this episode, not brought to you by any of mine or Connor's ex-girlfriends, it is in fact brought to you by Macroverse. Macroverse is proud to share their new comic book series in wide release, Darkland. Darkland is a delightfully twisted black comedy centered around the shifting alliances between the power players in hell, AG double hockey sticks itself, and the plans they have for Earth. 
A little bit of Game of Thrones mixed with Veep. It's twisted, funny, and provocative. Created and written by Evan Shapiro with art by Frank Calico. Darkland is a digital comic with full episodes released bi-weekly on the Macroverse in their proprietary tap story format. But it's also released weekly in shorter episodes on Webtoons in their perpetual scroll version. The full series of Darkland will have a digital collectible release in elegant landscape format for iPad and web coming late March 2023, followed by the trade paperback and collector's edition coming later this year. And here's your chance to get involved. After the digital release in March, Macroverse will be working with fans to generate ideas for an anthology series set within the world of Darkland, which will be voted on by the community as to which will get greenlit into production as a separate release, similar to what Macroverse did with their previous series, Dead Town and their upcoming series called Bushidos. There's lots of cool stuff coming from Macroverse, so get on board now. Head on over to their website at macroverse.world/darkland for more info, or go to Webtoons and search for Darkland. We've talked a bit about these One More Day books from these Batman One More Day books, which were originally billed as like the ultimate story for each character, sort of the uh, the One Bad Day, which is a reference, obviously, to Grey's Anatomy. I'm not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what just you know what just happened i literally got an email you know i get an email i got a pop-up on my screen and it was an email about Grey's anatomy and so i'm literally saying the words that popped up on the screen like i'm ron burgundy and this is this is batman's first encounter with mcsteamy or is it mcdreamy yeah. i can't get yeah so straight. uh like you know it's supposed to be referenced to killing joke because it's the one one uh one more one bad one bad day thing so anyway this <laughs> this Clay, uh, and so there's been a bunch of them. Like two were really good. A couple have been okay. Most have been forgettable. I really like this Clayface one. Batman One Bad Day. Clayface number one from Colin Kelly, Jackson Lansing, Harmonico. This is really good. This is really I really good. like this. This is probably I put this up with Riddler and 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 uh, Mr. Freeze. Mr. Freeze being a pick of the week uh, shoot selection. This is about Clayface's adventures in Hollywood, trying to get cast in the <laughs> Killing Joke movie. Playing the Joker. And How does any Hollywood screenwriter know that story? Uh, yeah, I don't know. But All right, moving uh, on. <laughs> never mind. It, it just it just goes really badly for him. He you know he goes out to L.A. He's a he's a waiter at what is it, the Chateau Marmont, even though it's not called that. And he called is, like the Chateau Sunset or something. Yeah, like that. it's on Sunset in, in L.A. But he you know it just goes badly. He gets. I didn't goes, write it, Connor. The audition. And then he gets almost gets the part. His his coworker gets the part. So then he has to kill the coworker. And his coworker, pretend, who is a comedian, he was a comedian, not an actor. And uh, he's got to kill him and pretend to be him on the set so he can act in it. And then he has to kill the director. Then he has to kill the producer. Then he has to kill the studio executive. It just goes really uh, down the tubes for him. And I thought it was really well written. I, I also love that the the name of the issue was No Notes. <laughs> Hermonico was a terrific, great choice for the. Uh, comic had some really like crazy t- clay face stuff he had to draw uh colors by romulo ferrado jr i thought this was a terrific little package if you're someone who has been sporadic on these one bad day books uh this is definitely one to check out it, it was a lot of fun i enjoyed the, the only slight note i have in this is that nope nope sorry connor no notes i know is that okay. uh bruce wayne when he shows up was a little bit old written he's calling he's calling the guy like kid and like son a little bit old written, but other than that, um, sorry, no notes. Uh, it was good. I like this a lot. Yes, this is very good. I'm glad I, this was not on my stack until you mentioned it as a 
something you want to include in the script, and I read it to the point where I was a few minutes late to our recording session, and I'm <laughs> glad I did. So thank you. Yeah, it's real strong. Blue Book by James Tinney and the Fourth, art by Michael Avon Oming, who we don't. I feel like we've been seeing more recently lately, and that is a that is just a treat as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, this is uh, a, a I guess. James Tinney the Fourth now has his own imprint from Dark Horse called Tiny Onion. Yeah, that was be... the name of his Substack. And then okay. when, when Substack went sideways and everybody, and you know, as we knew it would, uh, most of them moved up. A lot of them moved up to Dark Horse, but so he just, he just basically took his his own you know label and put and it's now a label at Dark Horse as, as opposed to Substack. Which, good for him. Yep. Great. I mean, um, so his most recent um miniseries the closet which also kind of had so project blue book refers to the air force's investigation of the ufo phenomenon back in the 60s um and essentially the the reason they were so interested in it is because there's this uh country that used to exist called the ussr the soviet union and like they were a bit of a problem and so if there were things flying around the skies that couldn't be identified there was a reason to maybe investigate it it didn't mean mm-hmm. they thought there were aliens it meant they thought the soviets had technology that they didn't have access right. to or couldn't track um so blue so that's where the name blue book comes from this particular story is uh explore it's it's sort of a fictionalized in quotes retelling of the betty and barney hill abduction uh from 1961 considered by many to be the first ufo abduction story in american pop culture um i'm a person of a, of a more skeptical nature so i sort of believe that this is more of a cultural phenomenon than an actual event that occurred but um it's an interesting story because it's it's a, a interracial couple in the early 60s in uh, new england who are on vacation um, they they were driving, you know, uh, on their vacation, and I think they they were getting a little, um, they were running short on funds because the vacation lasted a little longer than they thought it would, and they were just trying to get home by driving through the night. And I think you know they were they were tired, they were nervous as an interracial couple in the early '60s, and they they essentially saw lights in the skies and felt like they had some lost time uh, in their drive that that later they they recounted um through dreams and hypnosis and other um sort of alternate modalities as a, a sort of alien abduction event and this is kind of recounting that in comic book form who hasn't driven across the country and felt like they've lost time right i mean some that's, of those, well, that's <laughs> that is one of, of the, the the explanations this was new hampshire so uh, uh, it's a shame josh isn't here to uh defend defend his homeland but um you know, looking at like the the real elements of the story, Barney never the, the husband in the story never quite. But I don't think bought into what like had purportedly happened. But under hypnotic regression, like clearly was experiencing some sort of trauma. And so you can mm-hmm. actually go and this. You know, again, these are real people that this yep. happened to, and you can go see uh, videos or audio recordings of Barney under hypnosis recounting what happened. And like, he's clearly a, a person who's like dealing with some shit and it's creepy. Mm, it's really creepy. But, but Betty was the one who was having dreams and sort of seemed to really construct the narrative of sure. this event in her mind. Um, after the fact, which happens to all of us, like none of us are immune from reconstructing events in our memory. Every time you remember something, you remember it a little differently and that becomes your reality. Like I'm not criticizing her. I'm just saying, I think, you know, she she already kind of believed in the UFO phenomenon before this happened. And I think this gave her an opportunity to um, 
essentially have a career as a UFO celebrity. And so I think she took advantage of that. And it's not to say that it's not a creepy and interesting story. I don't think most of it's real, but I'll be curious to see. I will keep with this book just because I'll be curious to see what James Tinney the fourth does with this story that is purportedly historical, but I think has a lot of fabrications and, and fantastical elements along the way. Deceased War of the Undead Gods, issue six of eight. And I've been trying to figure out why I've, I haven't been as into this particular deceased mini as I have the others. It's it's really not working for me. And I'm I wonder if it's it. because it's it's a it's on a cosmic scale and it feels less character driven. Like one of the strengths of the original of the other miniseries have been it's so even though it's about a giant zombie outbreak, it's still been very small scale and character driven. This feels like it's maybe on a too big of a scale, but I like the end of this issue. I did really like this issue. It might have been one of my favorites of this minis series, although when High Father clocks Damien and the sound effect is crunch uh he doesn't really feel like he anything crunch we see him again he just kind of like got some blood in his lip and eye but like did it he feel like his jaw should have been broken or some mangled or something yeah i mean the, the the caption is the sound of the god's fist on his face was sickening right so he should have like he should have like his face be crumpled that could just yeah. be my wishful thinking but what i did really like about that as you said the <laughs> ending was that um you know alfred can't take it anymore after after losing you know, the Waynes and then, and then having to kill Bruce and Dick and Tim in the beginning of the story. Uh, he well, is well, Jim, Jim Corrigan gets ripped out of the specter by Mr. Miskis Pitlick. Yeah. So and, he so, screams so with such is now unmoored from a host, such uh, cosmic anguish. He screams at the, at Damien getting crunched by high father that he summons the, the spirit of the specter. And now that now Alfred is the specter. And I was like, well, damn, that, that's the I like cliffhanger. That. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I like that cliffhanger quite a bit. So, yeah, I'm I'm still excited to read the book. I just you're just not doing it for me like the other ones were. Agreed. It's 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 a bummer. You know what is doing it for me though? <laughs> Son of a bitch. Go go power corner. This time there are turtles. Go go power corner. <laughs> so uh, Mighty Morphin Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two. This is the second volume of this series. Number okay. three. Is this right? Um, is this Dan Mora? Yeah. <laughs> this what? is Ryan Parrott, Dan Mora, colored by Raul Angulo, and First letter, of all, uh, lettered by Ed Dukeshire. That guy has got some sort of Kirby-esque stamina, number one. True. Number two, he's drawn this instead of the Robin Supergirl date issue? Yeah, man, because you know why? At the end of last issue, the character we'd been missing this entire time, Arokusaki himself, that's mm -hmm. right, the Shredder, mm -hmm. appears and starts kicking butt. But guess what? He's on the side of the Power Rangers and the Turtles. He's fighting against Krang and Rita Repulsa. And so I think none of us saw that coming. Um, uh huh. What's really interesting about this book is that Casey Jones, that character we all love from the original sure. Turtles series, yep. mm -hmm. um, he's now Ranger X because Krang gave him the last working morpher from Dimension X where Krang is from because Dimension X had its own Power Rangers and their own connection to the morphing grid. And Krang obviously killed all of them because they would have stopped him had you know they've been allowed to continue their, their Ranger activities. But the last morpher that worked was given to casey jones now casey jones is a, has ranger powers and Great. what's crazy is that um 
Krang and his minions have disconnected the other rangers from the morphing grid. And so the only recourse they have is to figure out how to use their morphing coins. The coins still work. Mm. The coins Obviously. are fine. Of course they do. It's the connection to the grid. It's always the morphing the grid, the grid. That is the problem. So Donnie and Billy figure out how to use the mutagen that turned the, the turtles into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. They figure out how to use the morphing coins to yeah. help the rangers morph cool. into mutated versions themselves. So now like Jason is like a T-Rex man and, uh. and Kim is like a pterodactyl woman and Jason's like a Mastodon man and Billy's a Triceratops dude. And did they, did they choose to become horrible you know, well, they, they did to because, God instead of people. Yes. Yes. Because they said it because they, because when they lost a connection to the morphing grid, this is the thing I forgot to tell you, Connor. And this oh, is really great. important oh, is when they lost their connection to the morphing grid, the turtles also lost their connection to the shadow morphers, which allowed them to also act as Rangers getting what the, the power. What the fuck is a shadow morpher? A shadow morpher is what allows the, the, the turtles to clone the morphing powers of these, these teens with attitude. I call it ratitude. Okay. Uh, I, rad teens. I, I regret that, that question. Well, that so, sounded so fun. They got to flip it so yeah. that the, the, now the teens are now the teens with ratitude are, are mutating into mm-hmm. morpher versions of themselves using their power coins, mm-hmm. which gives them the power to fight against the rock soldiers and be about rock steady and all the other uh, baddies. Um, and it ends with, as you probably would have guessed, Shredder and the Turtles are going to go into Dimension X and they're going to put a stop to Krang and his whole operation if they can all figure out a way to work together. So I took the opportunity to text Josh and ask him to reconsider quitting. Uh, and so we all wait for his answer. So there you go. Those are the books we wanted to talk about. Teens of Ratitude. At patreon.com slash ifanboy. Every patron can vote to add a book to the rundown. This week, the patron pick was Local Man Number 1 from Image Comics. Written by Tim Seeley with art by Tony Fleeks and Tim Seeley. And colors by Brad Simpson and Felipe Sobriero. And um, this was super fun. I really like this. Yeah, I like this uh, a lot. Local Man is a tribute to the early 90s. The original, not the original original, but that sort of the second wave of Image Comics. In which, uh, you know, there's an extreme team. And I don't, I, I don't think this is, a new, this is from the old days. I think this is a new team. It, it I can't, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I couldn't find anything written about it anywhere that told me if this was a brand new team or this is something they pulled There's out of the archives. Short Tim Seeley essay in the background where he talks about getting, um, young blood number one, but well, that's just not young blood. Yeah. This no, is it's not young blood. It's sort of, it's sort of a, it's an early image pastiche, sort of a gen 13 Wildstorm vibe. And that's, I think part of why it's so successful is that it, is that it could very well have been written in 1994. Yeah. So, um, this is the story of one of those characters who comes home after something bad has happened. He's, he's, he's back in his hometown. No one likes him. His name is cross. His superhero name is cross Jack. Uh, no one's he's, happy he's that, that he's, he's there. Actually like the captain America type for the team that he was on. Kind of. Well, he has a shield, but it's not really like a, well, I guess so. Um, you know, he goes, has to stay with his family and he's having flashbacks to his family are like the anti Kents. Yeah, and I, think, a... I think purposefully so. Like, I think, you know, the way if, if Clark came home, even after something bad had happened, the way that they would support him is the exact opposite of the way this family doesn't support him. Yeah. The only like, person happy to see we're going to have dinner this late. The only person happy to see him is his ex-girlfriend Inga, who's married to somebody else, but she has a soft spot for him. And then, you know, it turns out that in his hometown, one of the, when he has a, uh, 
nemesis called Hodag, who was sort of like a what the fuck is he? Is that sort of a warthog or something? Um, uh, in Hodag, a Hodag in American folklore is a fearsome critter resembling a large bullhorned carnivore with a row of thick curved spines down its back. That's what he is. And so he he they have a fight and you know thing doesn't go well and the, and there's a cliffhanger and then the, the second half was terrific, which is uh, Tim Seeley written and drawn classic tale. So it looks like it could been it could have come out in 1994 of this team, and so you get to see them in action. You get some backstory that is important to the main story because it seems as if. Uh, one of the reasons why people hate him is he seems maybe, maybe he had an affair with the uh, woman on the team who was, you know, with the main guy. So like the sort of the a the a list couple of the team. He's just maybe he broke them up. Something happened like that. But I thought this was great. I really did. I was gonna give it a shot. Shot anyway. I liked Tim Seeley. Seemed like a fun concept. The cover was really striking. Uh, and then when I finished it, I thought, man, that was great. I really liked that. Yeah. One thing I really liked about this was when they switched art styles you know when tim seeley took over and did Mm -hmm. it in like the early image style i thought that actually was really successful like it it didn't break the story but it it did make it feel like oh this is like the moment where it's super throwbacky and the character you you can tell that's the same character but like one of you know he's a little schlubby in the modern world but he's like super heroic and chiseled in the 90s world but i thought that the juxtaposition actually worked nicely to tell the story and the the final page kind of presents a, a interesting uh gross mystery so i'll be curious to see where this goes even i mean as you said the flashbacks within the main story which are drawn like a very realistic you know vertigo-esque comic um the flashbacks have that have that nine early 90s look to them even though it's the uh, it's the other artist and then the tim seeley stuff is really early 90s i thought this was a really fun concept i like that, that they're, we're playing with this this you know looking back at this era of comics which you know not not a great era of comics but fun to look back on and you know sort of comment on them and well, we, got, I, we got two questions to answer right now connor what's that one question is how do you rate it and the other question is are you uh, sticking with it um i'm giving this a four stars wow four stars yeah four out of five I think I would probably. Oh man, four's four's a good four's a really good rating. I might go three point seven five. Okay, I'm close, but I'm gonna yeah. keep reading this. I, I I truly am, but I yeah yeah I'm gonna stick with it too. I, I was I was pretty happy when I put it down, and uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. So patreon.com slash fanboy every patron who votes add a book to the rundown every patron who votes we thank you and if but if you give it the five dollar or higher level you get a superpower live on the show given to you it's called the patron power and we do it now and this episode jeff reed is getting a patron power and uh, i don't know if it was inspired by blue book or betty and barney hill but jeff reed has the power to summon uh, unidentified craft to abduct anyone at any time <laughs> Well, first of all, we should point out Jeff Reed was our former colleague. Yeah, no, Jeff's great. Uh, Jeff, people don't know Jeff. He was one of our columnists at iFanboy. He did great. I tried to, DC I tried to columns. see if a, a library-based power would be summoned for Jeff, and it just wasn't happening. And I think the power that exists is that a, a, a interdimensional alien or, or otherwise unknown craft. I think it's a great power. Abduct people if if there's a particularly obnoxious patron at the library. Where do they go? But they're just abducted. They're just they're gone. Re- <laughs> he just disappears. People. They might reappear in the woods like a week later. I think that's partly up to Jeff. But, so he's not. You know, he's not indiscriminately murdering people. It's no, just- they're not murdered. They're just abducted. It's it's a it's you know he has some 
control of what happened. You know, I, I don't even think it's like the same craft every time. I just think it's a craft appears as needed to abduct those that annoy or otherwise vex Jeff. Sure. I, I have no problem with that. I'm just saying if you were, if you abduct someone and they're never seen again, it's basically a murder. So I was just making sure that they were actually returned at some point. Listen, if Jeff's having a particularly tough week, there's nothing to say he couldn't abduct himself. Couldn't say I need a break. <laughs> wow. That's, that's not a situation you want to get into is when you feel like you have to start abducting yourself. Self-abduction. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, uh, so there you go, Jeff. Thanks for thanks for writing in. Uh, thanks for being a patron. We appreciate it. Patreon.com slash iFanboy is where you can get your superpower live on the show if you give the $5 or higher level. And now let's do an email. Uh, it's a somewhat long question, but I want to I read it because it's interesting. Reese G. from New York City, uh, parentheses, Staten Island, but that's embarrassing to say. And it, and it should be. It should be. Is it? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know enough yeah. about the, yeah, it the is. whole it's situation that's happening there. It's embarrassing. Reese says, first time emailer here. I've been thinking about this question since April 14th, 2014. My question is, how do you think DC Comics should handle Robins and Batman sidekicks in general? I'd say there's an oversaturation of Batman sidekicks, not because I don't like them, but because the comics don't really get a chance to focus on all of them. When it comes to Robin specifically, I see a few options. Batman can get a new Robin and stick with that one forever, or take one of the former Robins and stick with them, or... Rotate the existing Robins as his sidekick or stop taking in Robins since we have so many and remain solo. Which of these would you choose or is there a different path you'd take? And now he said in his email, you can stop there. I have some thoughts that are just for context. I'm going to read his thoughts just because I think they're interesting. It says, uh, he says, it seems like Robins don't really reach the peak of their popularity, the best version of themselves while in the Robin role. Dick as Nightwing, Jason as Red Hood, Stephanie as Spoiler, all seem more iconic than they were as Robins. Seems like Tim Drake really made a name for himself in his Red Robin solo series. Correct me if I'm wrong. And Damien is much better as a character in and after his most recent Matthew Rosenberg series. For this reason, I think it's better for Robins to eventually leave the nest. But I don't like the idea of no more Robins. But I see the problems in an endless stream of sidekicks. My current solution would be to bring in Duke Thomas as the main sidekick. He hasn't really been fleshed out as a character yet, in my opinion. But I really like Duke because I relate relate to him as a young African-American. And being the only sidekick of that background, unless you count Batwing as a sidekick... I wish he had a bigger presence in the family. So there's there's a lot there's a lot here. It's a great question. A, yeah, and you're right. There's a ton to unpack. Uh, number one, just some housekeeping. I think Batwing isn't a sidekick, but he's a member of the family. So there's a difference between sidekick and Batman family members. Like Huntress is a member of the Batman family. She's not a right. sidekick. Batwoman was never a sidekick. Batwoman's not a sidekick, but she's a member of the extended family. So the there, fam- there's, there's the Bat family. Yeah, there's different levels of sidekick here. Um, what do you want to tackle first? Because I think there's two things here. There's the first question, which is what should we do with the Robins? And there's the second question of uh, or the second idea of, of the characters being more iconic outside of the of the red costume. So which one do you want to tackle first? The, the, the second one first. Do you, do okay. you agree with the, the stated premise that Robins are more successful after they, quote unquote, leave the nest? No. Um, well, yes and no. It just depends on the character. There's been... I agree. There's, there's five official Robins. Okay, you had Dick, Wait, Jason. I, oh, yep. God, Dick, what? Jason, Tim, Stephanie, and uh, Damien. Correct. Thank you. Duke was sort of a Robin in that We Are Robins book, but that was sort of never really referred to again, and never. It's not. He's not official. He I mean, he also like refused to take on the name. Like he was Duke, for, and then he eventually began. Like he said, "I'm never having a code name until they decided to call him Signal." Right. 
that, which Duke I don't has know been that. a mess. I, and I understand and appreciate why Reese relates to Duke the most, obviously, but they haven't, in my opinion, they haven't done, they haven't done anything to, to earn Reese's approval. Do you know what I mean? Like they haven't, Duke I, think, has, I think Reese would agree with that. I think Reese, you yeah, know, Reese agrees with for, it. I'm just saying for a situation where Duke is more fleshed out. They haven't done anything. Fully with it. So let's, let's get back to the, the, the idea that the Robins are more iconic outside of the Robin costume. So, Dick was Nightwing, Jace is Red Hood, Stephanie is Spoiler, and Tim is Red Robin. Red Robin was not... Never never worked. Never worked. It was 26 issues for two years. He is, I, I, he's not even the most iconic Red Robin. I'd say the most iconic Red Robin was Dick in Kingdom Come. Exactly. And that was, that was actually the point I was going to make is if, if my memory serves, which I think you've just confirmed, the origin of Red Robin as a, a post-Robin Robin. identity... <laughs> um, <laughs> is Dick Grayson and Kingdom Come, which always yes. struck me as strange of like, why isn't this character Nightwing? What does Red Robin mean in the context of not just being Robin anymore? And then for Tim, Tim Drake to assume that mantle, like I, I, I actually think Tim Drake is the character that breaks the mold here where he is the most iconic as a Robin because of all the Robins, he's the one who self-selected and said, the Batman that I'm seeing operating in Gotham right now yeah, is failing yep. because he doesn't have a Robin and I'm smart enough to figure out how to be the Robin that he needs. And I think that's like, I think that's actually a really powerful version of a character deciding to become a Robin rather than letting the trauma inform their, dis- their non-decision to get swept up in Batman's crusade. Yes. Um, t- uh, Yes, I mean, I could I could talk about why I think why he was Red Robin in the Kingdom Come, but that's uh, that's beside the point. We don't think we have time for that. So, Jason Todd obviously is more iconic as Red Hood than Robin, although his death is uh, is like the uh, one of the iconic you know comic book deaths as Robin. Stephanie was spoiler; she was Robin. She was Batgirl. Of those, the least iconic is Robin. She was only Robin very briefly, a year like less than a year. Damien has only been Robin, so his he's only he's only Robin. Now here's where you're. I think you're going to disagree, and some people will disagree. Dick Grayson. I think for two for two groups of people, he is more iconic as Robin. Number one, comic readers my age and older, and number two, the general public. The general public, if they know who Dick Grayson is at all, they know him as Robin. They don't know Nightwing. They don't know who Nightwing is. They have no context for Nightwing. Unless they watch the cartoon. And what what part of this are you thinking I might disagree with you on? Well, just that he's more iconic as Robin than, than Nightwing. But, he, you know, in, in almost every media, you know, you're talking about Batman 66. You're talking about Young Justice and, and, and you know, the first season of the Titans. Like, in every media, almost, he he is he is sort of more known known as Robin than he is as Nightwing because people just don't know who Nightwing is outside of comic fans, really. Yeah, I think I, I I mean I think on the surface I agree with you in that he is the most well known of any of the Robins, but I also think of any of the Robins, like people don't know, you know, in terms of like obscure character transitions. Nobody knows about Stephanie transitioning to spoiler. Nobody knows about Jason transitioning to Red oh, Hood. Sure. But like the idea of Dick Grayson outgrowing the Robin role and transitioning to something else, transitioning to Nightwing, even if people don't know th- that particular, the particulars of that story, I think there is something about Jason's, or not Jason, there's something about Dick's story of outgrowing the mantle 
that is distinct from the other Robin. Oh, for sure. Stories that that exist. Two of them died. Jason died. Stephanie, quote unquote, died. It turned out later it was a fake death, but that's how she stopped being Robin. And you know, Tim is still still Robin, so so is Damien. So the only one who really chose to say, "I'm not doing this anymore," was Dick. Question for you, and also just as a to put a pin in that. For you know, I grew up in the, reading comics in the early '80s, mostly reading Bronze Age stuff. Robin, you know, Dick was my Robin. People who are older than me. Dick was their Dick was their Robin, so I think um, the case can be made, and a lot of people will say, as a for comic readers, he's more iconic than Nightwing, and I, I will I will agree with that. I'm saying, as a, in a general sense, he's probably more iconic as Robin. Now, what what do you think? Which which role was Dick in longer, Robin or Nightwing? That's a question for you. I know the answer. Well, didn't I mean wasn't Dick introduced in like the 30s or 40s? <laughs> so how many how many more years? Which one do you think? Just pick one. I, I, I'm ge- uh, I, I would guess we're approaching. It's close. I, I, well, I was actually going to say I, I would guess we're approaching equilibrium where he's been about. He's been both for about forty years, but I would still give the edge to Robin. You're correct. So he was Robin from 1940 to 1984. So that's 44 years as Robin, and then uh, Nightwing from 84 to the present. Although in the middle of there, there was three years in two different chunks where he was Batman. So. He was Rob Nightwing for 39 years, although 36 if you take away the three years where he wasn't Nightwing and he was Batman. And I think I think that's fair to take that away. For for me, as a you know a slightly younger reader than than you, um, I rem- you know when I started reading, so I, I watched the Batman animated series before I was like a serious comic reader. Mm-hmm. And in that series, you you sort of go through the same arc of dick outgrowing the robin persona and, sure, and becoming yeah. nightwing and then they transition like the animation style and all that stuff but it was still the same continuity and in that continuity they jump straight over jason and go oh, straight yeah. from dick to tim but they put a lot of jason in tim which is weird yeah so that was always once i realized kind of what they'd done i had like mixed feelings about tim and i think i'm more fully invested in the true comics version of tim now but when i actually started reading comics Dick was already Nightwing and it yep. was during the Chuck Dixon, Scott McDaniel run. And so like I fell head over heels in love with that version of the character Yep, as, as almost everyone else in the DCU did. He's a great character. I mean, I Dick's my Robin, but Tim is my very close second Robin. Like I loved him. I know, How I'm, many... just, I'm just, I'm just giving people context for yeah, like yeah. where, where did I come into the story and what, what was the thing that imprinted on me? You know, as the, as the little baby comic book reader <laughs> hatching from the egg, what imprinted on me as the mama, and it was it was Dick as Nightwing during an excellent period of Nightwing's uh, storytelling with Tim as a very capable, competent Robin backing it, backing everyone up. Uh, so there was so in researching this, I was I was and I, I went through each Robin, wrote down how many years they were each one, what what the years were, and I had totally forgotten because it's been so long that the couple of years before the New Fifty Two started, they sort of blew up the Bat Family and were trying all kinds of wacky things like. 2009, 2011, that's when Dick Grayson was Batman. That's when uh, Tim Drake was Red Robin. That's when Stephanie was Batgirl. So, like, it was a whole different paradigm. And then that all got wiped out by the New 52 transition. But I'd sort of forgotten that that all happened at the same time. How many years has Tim Drake been Robin? Tim Drake, I'm guessing, uh, started as Robin in the uh, early 90s. So, about 30 years. 33 years, minus... Minus two for Red Robin, so thirty-one years total as Robin. Thirty-three in you know. Calendar. I did not do any research. I'm. These are. This is. He started in nineteen ninety, 
as as that was his first appearance as Robin. Jason, good. Feels Jason good Todd was Robin for five years, very short stint. He but was dead for seventeen, stint. and he's been Red Hood for ten years now. I'm sorry, eighteen years now. The entire length of the show, he, he debuted the same year as the show did. Interesting. Stephanie Brown around a lot longer than you think. How many years do you think she's been as spoiler? Robin? No, a spoiler. How many? Just in general, as a character, how many years do you think she's been around? Oh geez, uh, she's probably introduced in the late aughts, early 2010s, so maybe 20 years. She was introduced in 1992. 1992. Wow. Yeah. So she, um, unless I have that written down wrong, no, I don't think I do. She was introduced a few years after after uh, Dick, after Tim was. Yeah, she was 19, 1992. Was her appearance a spoiler? So how many years is that? I think I wrote that number down wrong. But well, only her, two her years. Her dad so, was a, a bat villain, right? Yeah, so thir- about thirty years of uh-huh. uh, spoiler. One year as Robin, four years as Batgirl. So she's she's uh her she's dad, been, the Clue Master. Clue Master, yeah. Fir- first appearance. You want to guess first appearance of uh, Clue Master? Nineteen sixty-four. Sixty-six. Damien has been Robin for seventeen years. Gardner Fox and Carmine Infantino. Yeah. So those are the Robins. Now to get to his question, um, what to do? It's it's a mess. Get a new Robin. Stick with that one forever. No, there's already too many Robins. So you don't add a new, you don't add a new one to the mix. Uh, You can't really do much about like, uh, it's, it's been discussed on the show before. There's not a lot you can do when the, the current Robin is the biological son of Batman. Like that limits, that limits you in so many ways. It does. It does. And also just, I mean, just to be, to be cold-bloodedly business-like about it, the fact that James Gunn says uh, he's his favorite Robin means he's going to be all over the movies, which, and we know that the, the comics tend to take a lot of their direction from the movies, so he's not going anywhere. Not that he has, but it's been 17 years he's not going anywhere, but now he's really going to be in the forefront, and he will you know, possibly become the iconic Robin to people now if he's going to be in the films. Well, and I think you you and Josh discussed this on a, a show not too long ago of like, there's also there's also now that, you know, Damon's been introduced, there's no other person who can take up the mantle of the bat. Right. It's all a mess. Because there were really... stories, I mean, there were stories, like there were pre-Damien stories where it was either Dick, but usually Dick gets disenfranchised. Yeah. And there's like stories where it's Tim. There's stories where it's Terry. They're introducing like kind of the Batman Beyond universe. But once you have Damien in the mix, you can't it's, really. It's over. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It really is tough to say, but I mean, the Bat family books are kind of in big broken. trouble. They're broken. They get by because they do all. They, there's so many of them, and, and they occasionally, like Nightwing's really good, and but the paradigm is broken. Who Batman is is, is broken. His family is broken. You know, Rob. He's Robin is Tim Drake in one book and Damien in another book. Like it's broken, and and it traces back to to Damien. It traces back to them not letting him die at the end of Grant Morrison's story and rebooting it the the universe with him. They had their chance. They had their moment to unbreak it, and they didn't. And it's broken. And it's right tough. because because now like now that Damien's firmly established as both Bruce's son and the Robin, like you can't kill him because. Killing yeah. him, the trauma of losing a son would supplant. And I think we've talked about this before. Yeah, it would we supplant did, yeah. the trauma of losing the parents, which yep. is Batman's entire driving force. So 
it's a it's a lose lose scenario. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the only real if I'm in charge of DC, I mean, once they once they convince me I can't bring Dick Grayson back as Robin, um, which I'm in charge, so why could they stop me? How could they stop me? Because he's Nightwing. You, <laughs> no, I, I'm sorry, Connor. Warner Brothers would stop me, but um, I think you make Damien a bad guy, an antihero like Talia. Which they sort of like they've they've teased. They got that to the edge of it, but they brought with, it back. Well, but with they've, they've teased it with Jason, yeah, a number of times as well because Jason is so close to the line. I think you, so I think ways. you make him the new Razagul, and you you set up that sort of the tragedy of Bruce having lost his son to that. But then that would become Bruce's whole obsession. Like this is the fact that he's his biological son just ruins everything. So what do you do? You don't need to stop taking Robins. There's already too many. I think you do what they have been doing, which is his third option, which is rotate the existing Robins. So like in, in some books, it's Tim. In some books, it's Damien. It depends on, you know, the the book and the creator and the story. I mean, cl- clearly, clearly Robin, Tim Drake getting a different identity didn't work. They tried several. He, what was his? He was Drake. If you he recall, was. we've all forgotten that. We've all excise that from our brains but he was a character called drake the only reason i remember that is because it, it took it took them doing that for me to realize that drake was a term for a type of bird yeah so they tried <laughs> they tried Doc, making tim right? red robin they tried making him drake it didn't it didn't stick for too many too many fans he is the he is the iconic robin so i think they're gonna have to stick with tim and damien sort of sharing the role now what does that mean for duke that is, I mean, Duke's not- the elephant in the room, and, and like Duke, I, I have no problem with Duke as a character. I, I, but again, I think they almost admitted that they didn't know where Duke fit in the beginning of his introduction. And I would say that the arc or the story where I think Duke has worked the best, and I've enjoyed that character the most, has been the Sean Murphy. Mm. Um, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was gonna. That was my my next thing was the White Knight verse. I guess yeah. we'll call it Sean Murphy's epic run on his we, we talked about this issue in the last episode uh his epic run of elseworlds books and that duke is prominent in that and without spoiling it i'll just say he's prominently wearing a red outfit in in the, the most but recent I would also part. say like he's he's been reworked in that story to be almost more and again like i'm not trying to like play on black character tropes but like he's more of a luke cage but he's a big dude. He's like Duke in the main continuity yeah. is is a kid like all the other Robins. Whereas Duke in the White Knight verse is like a big dude. He's a man. Formidable. He's a, he's a man. He's a full grown formidable man. Right. But he's willing to like take on. He's willing to put on the, the, the Robin outfit if that's what it takes to get the job done to save the city to, to all the other stuff. And I think it, that to me is the most interesting version of the character I've seen portrayed outside the main continuity where in the main continuity i haven't felt super compelled by anything they've done with that character i think reese would it seems like reese agrees with that like the character is is wanting in terms of let's do something cool with them i don't know and the I, last I think, time i saw him was they they teamed him up with black lightning sort of in the outsiders in that um in that anthology book but they just the problem is they haven't served the character they haven't really fleshed him out. They haven't given him a reason for being. And he can be a great character. Any character can be great with the right story. It's just they haven't done it for him. And there's just there's just so many 
There's so many sidekicks. And also just the, you know, in the heyday of the 90s when you had the, you had a Bat family bigger than this one mm-hmm. currently. But they, they, and all they were that, all, yeah. they were all, they all got their time on, and do. And I don't know why it's different now, but it is. And they just don't get, they, like you said, they don't get a chance to really give anyone the spotlight. Well, and what's, and what's interesting is that like, as part of the endless series of reboots, they've tried to, they're trying to have their cake and eat it too, in terms of Barbara was still somehow shot by the Joker. Right. Which, you know, doesn't make, doesn't make sense. It yeah. doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons it doesn't make sense is like, this is a universe where John Henry Irons can create a suit that allows. Well, they always said like, that they just have to, you have to ignore that because I know they want to, I mean, that, but, that was true in the old, in the old continuity too. They just, but the, the point I'm driving at is they basically took, you know, they took that aspect of her character away, even though like her as Oracle was a fantastic character and they had a great other options for Batgirl in Stephanie in Cassandra. So they had like other Batgirls that could serve that role, but they wanted their their redheaded you know Batgirl who could who could flirt with Dick Grayson. And I don't. But they I don't also hate, wanted they I, also I wanted. Sorry, they also wanted someone who like we talked about with Dick Grayson. The public knows they were trying to right. they were trying to expand this to the general public and get them interested in comics again. And the public knows Barbara Gordon as Batgirl. They don't know who Stephanie Brown is. They don't know who Cassandra Kane is. But but my point is that like if the Bat family if the bat family is missing a component at the moment i would say it's it's you know the 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 spider-man the mcu spider-man joke of the guy in the chair right they don't have a great guy in the chair right now and i don't i don't think you reduce duke to that character because i think that is reductive i think it takes it takes away a, a aspect of their physicality and their ability to be out on the street but i also think like that's something that's missing because they they had barbara in that role and she was great at it and that's an area where they are currently depoverate. I'm fine. Like if they want to put him in the chair, even though that's what they have Barbara doing again, basically I'm fine with it. As long as they do something with him, because right now the, he doesn't do anything but stand in the background of the group shot. So if they want to say, Hey, let's make him the computer guy in the back of the chair. That's fine. But I mean, they, they wouldn't, I'm just saying any role they want to give him. That's actually an interesting role. Then do it. Otherwise, why is he there? It's just a waste of a character. Now, Reese G, he calls himself a young African-American man, so he probably doesn't have children. But I will say that, I think this is public knowledge, uh, Duke is Robin in the new Bat Wheels cartoon. So it's meant for kids. It's not meant for, it's not an all-ages cartoon. So, but he is Robin in that in that cartoon. So I do not know that. I don't know if that's public knowledge or not. I, mean, I should probably shouldn't have said that, but uh, I don't think my NDA is good anymore. Anyway, um. So here you go. It's we, we we spent way too much time talking about Robin, and I could talk about Robin and the and how fucked up the Batman books are now for another half an hour. But. I, I have not yet introduced my kid to any superheroes or or comics or any of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will say one of the words he already knows, and this is not a joke, is Grogu. Well, that goddamn Yoda is adorable. He's adorable. He, his main Christmas present last year was a, a stuffy of of Grogu and. There's like a three minute animated uh, Miyazaki short on Disney Plus of of Grogu, and so his first pop culture awareness that he can say out loud into the into the world is Grogu. My brother's first word was Batman. Um, was that was your Batman? fault? Older brother or younger brother? Younger brother. Younger brother. <laughs> so yeah. it is your fault. Yeah. So Duke Duke is it's, it has been announced. Duke is is the Robin in the Batwheels cartoon, and Cassandra is the Batgirl. Anyway, you know it's tough. I. I 
we all you know we always we always say on the show that the signal is 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 a waste because he is a waste in terms of they don't use him they don't do anything with him so either do something with him or or don't you know that's my 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 feeling now is he's been around long enough he's been around for five years at this point and to reiterate the point you sort of made in passing like any character can be great duke can be great i have nothing against duke i would love to see that character succeed but nothing i've read so far outside of the white knight universe that sean murphy is doing has shown me what that character is capable of outside of the tokenism that i think he was originally introduced with yeah so i would again i would say reese even though it's not the main continuity although i would argue that the best batman stories are being told outside the main continuity right now is check out the sean murphy white knight series of miniseries they all, all got White Knight in the title, and Duke is and the is, most the most recent one just ended, but they've already announced that they're doing more. Yeah, so Duke is a main character. He's not a main character, but he's a he's a much more prominent character in that book than he is. And a really cool character. He's, like, he's I, really, a great, I really yeah. like him in those books. So check that out, and if and if you have kids or nieces or nephews, watch the Back Wheels cartoon because it's uh he'll he's Robin in that. Uh, so there you go. Reese wrote to contact at ifanboy.com. That's how he got in the show. Thanks for writing in. You can also write in to be in our Media Explode show or non-comics media monthly show. You can, if you do that, put Media Explode into the subject line. Thank you. And now we're on to the plugs and announcements part of the show. And what's funny about this is every week we we, we give you a schedule and then we change it. And that's no, no different this time. We've changed the schedule again just because uh, there are so many uh, special edition shows coming out in the next two months. And... Uh, we just have to keep we just have to keep moving them, moving them around just for, just for, for keep scheduling reasons. Refreshing your podcast feed, you'll get what you get. It's going to be fine for the pretty, for eight straight weeks. Calm down. Starting with last week, for eight straight weeks, there's going to be a show every Thursday. So last week was Media Explode. This past week was our Ant Man the Wasp Quantum Mania review. This coming week is our Legion of Superheroes animated review. The week after that's a Talk Explode. It, it's in the can and recorded. I'll let Josh tell you who it is next week since it's his baby. Uh, the week after that will be our Media Explode show in which Josh and Ron are going to review Andor Season 1. Josh has watched the entire season. They're going to talk about it. Hey, Connor? Hey, Connor? Yep. Why not both? Why not both what? You say you say Andor, I say why not both. Oh, yeah, true. Uh, the week after that will be Shazam! Fury of the Gods, probably. The week after that will be Booksplode. We're going to talk about Kingdom Come. That's our next Booksplode show, Kingdom Come. Uh, we haven't read that. Neither one of us have read that in a long time. And with it propping up again within the Batman and Superman book, we decided to go back and revisit it. Uh, and then the week after that will be the Batman, the Doom that came to Gotham review, the animated series, that animated film. So eight straight weeks. We're in week. Th- we're currently in week two. Um, I think it's going to hold. I think this is how it's going to hold unless something slips. But that's that's <laughs> what I think is going to happen. You sound like you sound like one of those um, submariners in the World War II movie. Hold. We're 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 below the maximum depth, Captain, and <laughs> yeah. like they're waiting to see if the bolts are going to like. You can hear the creaking. Of, the creaking. Um, the is pressure happening. on the hull because. It's a very it's a very complicated and, and delicate situation. But like, but like one of the bolts is going to blow and it's going to take out Hank and we're going to be... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the water starts coming in. Yep. Yeah. It's because Hank was drinking. That's what happened. Science Sort of, Ryan. Tell us about your show. I do a show called Science Sort of where if you want to learn more about the ideal gas law, which probably controls the pressure equations of submarines, it's uh, PV equals NRT, I believe. Um, you can learn more about that on science, sort of, where we talk about science, but we don't take it too seriously. Kind of like our fanboys approach to comics. It's almost as if we modeled our science show after this comic book show. Uh, not saying we did, but um, Ron gets a lot of credit either way. Sciencestore.com is where you can find that, as well as any 
uh, podcatcher you use should be available. If you are using a podcatcher where you're like, I'm going to search for science sort of, and you can't find it, let me know uh, on the Discord or otherwise, and I'll, um, I'll see to remedying that and making sure it becomes available wherever you want to find your podcast, science sort of. And you can find our library of over 100, no, that's not enough. Over 1,200 no, shows. I mean, that it is correct that it is over 100. It is over 100, but it's over 1,200 shows and counting at ifanboy.com. That's where all of our podcasts are. You can also find them basically anywhere podcasts are available. That's where they'll be. You can follow us at ifanboycomics on Instagram to find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out. And usually the pick the best week of panels that comes out on the weekends, which is a fun thing I do when I have time. That is that is the part of of doing the show that I always wish I had time to contribute to, and I never seem to get my act together enough to do it. Well, but you can do it at any time. Just text me the info, and I'll put it up. Yeah, but it's gonna be like three weeks late. <laughs> no, no, you can't do that. It's got to be between <laughs> between Thursday and Sunday. Yeah, that's 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 that limitation is the problem. <laughs> Individually, we are CS Kilpatrick and JA Flanagan on Instagram. We did not coordinate that, and Ryan Haupt on Instagram and Haupt on Twitter still. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to blow through this. Subscribe to our YouTube page, youtube.com slash ifanboy. That's where you can find our old video shows. Ryan, did you make an appearance in the old video shows? I, the only appearance I made on the video shows. Can you, do you remember? No, that's why I asked. Was it the, was it, was it WonderCon? No, I no. never actually made it on any of the con shows. The only appearance I made was you saying my name when you uh, did your It Superman review. Oh, well, Okay. All right, that makes sense. All right. That's all I got. Well, you can find all of those shows there at youtube.com slash ifanboy. Also, this show, we put it up every week. If you want to listen via YouTube, it's there. And please, please consider leaving a review for this show, for Science Sort of, for any podcast you listen to at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We thank you. And that show went much longer than I anticipated, but I knew that Robin question would go long. I just didn't think it would go that long. It's and I apologize. Fine. I apologize no, to everyone. I apologize there. for nothing. That was fun. I, I I mean I was ready to do another twenty minutes on Robin. Let's do it. More Robin questions. Special edition. Ryan and I will fix the, the, Ro- the Batman situation for you. Robin time. Robin's egg blue coming your way this summer. Real quick, if you were in charge tomorrow, you're you're put in charge of DC. How, what do you do to fix fix Batman? Quick one one sentence. Uh, one sentence to fix Batman. Um, Bruce is old. Terry's in charge. <laughs> You're not getting the job. Thanks for listening. I'm Connor. <laughs> Wait, you, you're not going to give your sentence? Oh, I, I would do an event. I mean, it, it's in the larger context of I would do an event that reset the continuity again. And now everyone's groaning right now. But I would I would reset it in a sort of uh, take the best of the old continuity and the best of the new continuity, fix fix the, those problems. And one of the things that would happen would be that Damien would be not in the story anymore. He'd be a distant memory if longtime readers will remember the moment in hyper time where it was a Mark Wade story actually where Batman briefly remembered the golden age Batwoman and it was very heartfelt and uh, surprising. And that's what I would have Damien be sort of a, a memory that Batman can't quite grasp, but is not in this, not a character that has been around and it would be, I would go back to being, to being Tim. I'd want to be Dick, but they wouldn't let me. It'd be, it'd be Tim, and I would try to recreate the 90s Batman family again. Alfred doesn't just have one hand. He's got four hands. Alfred's got four arms. Alfred had all, <laughs> four arms and an indestructible neck. Two, two arms <sighs> are always making cucumber sandwiches. The other two arms are always uh, inflating the tires in the Batmobile. And exactly. um, the consciousness of the Batmobile is Damien. Uh, it's, it's, it's a kid, like, Knight Rider. Like 
Yep, he's a kit Knight Rider situation, so uh, Bruce Wayne gets all of the father-son interaction needs while driving the Batmobile. One of Alfred's arms always has a tray of tea on it. But the other two are, have to make a cucumber sandwich. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. I always like to say if I was in charge of DC, I, I, would be, I, I would drive DC into the ground. But that's what I would do, and it would be a glorious trip. Anyway, see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Same bat time, same bat station. All right. That's the thing, right? Yep.